welcome. You are listening to Grace Capital Church Podcast. Well, good morning, Grace Capital Church. Well, it is a privilege to be with you again, and uh, if you are a guest with us today, I just want to let you know we are in probably week, I know we are in week three of this series called The Bride, and uh, what this series is, is all about is looking at uh, the book of Revelation and Jesus, these are the red letters of Jesus who gave a, a, a word to John, the Apostle John, the disciple John, uh, who was on the island of Patmos, which was a, a Greek island. And um, John was in captivity because he was sharing the gospel, but Jesus gave this revelation to John for these churches. And these were churches in present-day Turkey. They called it Asia Minor at the time. And these were actual churches that were in existence. And um, Jesus had something specific to say about them. And why we're going through this series is because we believe that what Jesus says to these churches, we can also apply to us, the church. And why do we call it the bride? Is because we know that we have a bridegroom. Who is our bridegroom? Jesus is our bridegroom, and he's looking for a bride who's going to be ready for his return. Jesus is coming back to earth at some point in time, just in case you're wondering, and we need to make ourselves ready. We, the church, people, not the building, the church doesn't need to get itself ready. We, the people, need to get ourselves ready for Jesus' return. And so it's important to see what Jesus has to say for and against these churches, It is amazing how our culture has changed, is it not, though? I can't imagine that this little phone actually has more power. Uh, My family had a a chain of clothing retail stores in in Ontario, kind of like The Gap. But I remember when the first computer came out, um, it actually took up an entire room to do all of its computing, and this little phone actually can do more computing than that entire large machine. Technology is good. Our culture has grown, and, and there's some good things about it, there's some bad things about it. But the other day, I was um, texting somebody, and uh, they had sent me a, a text and, and say that, oh, we're just kidding. And by the way, there are two women of the church who were doing a project for me, and, uh, and they were just saying, oh, the things we do for you, Mark. And they said, oh, we're just kidding. And, and I text back, and, and I don't know, maybe you can relate to this. Your thumbs go faster or hit the wrong letters. But if you look where D is, it's right next to S. And I says, well, I love that. I want to say, I love that you're kidders. That's why I like you. You know, I like people joking around. I love that you're kidders. That's why I like you. And I actually, as I said, send. I love that you're kissers, and that's why I like you. <laughs> And the reply back is, what? (laughs) Pastor Mark thinks we're good kissers. Um, I have since learned that you really, really want to check your texts before they go because um, you can get yourself in trouble uh, for doing that. But our culture has, has progressed in such a way that I wonder how much of the culture has taken over the church. I don't know how you were uh, raised, but I was raised in a home that there's definitely never any alcohol in the home, definitely no R-rated movies, and I remember hearing stories from my father that when he grew up, you couldn't even have playing cards, because those were wrong, it would 
It would bring you to some place that was, that was not good. But today, so much so things have changed to the place of even just take alcohol for an example. I don't think too many people would actually frown upon the idea that a Christian would drink. So much so, we had somebody donate a whole box of wine to be auctioned off at one of our church functions. You see, depending on where you grew up, maybe you just came to know Jesus and the thought of, it wouldn't even dawn on me that drinking would be wrong. Well, let me be clear on it. Drunkenness is wrong. Drunkenness is a sin. Drinking itself is not. But how much of our culture has changed? There used to be a time not too long ago that actually showing somebody drinking alcohol on TV was banned. Today, you'll almost see it in every show. A glass of wine sitting on a table, somebody drinking beer. No problem. Let me ask you another thing. The idea of sex outside of marriage, uh, depending on how you were raised or depending on how much of the Bible you know, sex outside of marriage, is it right or wrong? There was a study that was done just recently It was from Christian Mingle State of Dating in America report. And here's what it says. Those of you who have also been on Christian Mingle. (laughs) 61% of Christians say that it's okay to have sex before marriage. This is not the world. This is Christians, the church. 61% of those believe that it's okay to have sex outside of marriage. Just in case you might be confused by this statistic, the Bible is very clear that sex outside of marriage is wrong. It's actually sin. We don't like to talk about the S word too much, but sin is those things that separate us from God. Our culture. How much of our culture has creeped into the church And do we even know what's truth anymore? The truth line is maybe a little fuzzy. How could it be that if we were raised a certain way or our culture was a certain way and now we've adopted, make some things acceptable in the church, where does that line get drawn? All right, let's, we're already hitting some some touchy subjects already, but let's go a little further. Here's a cultural thought. This is what is going on in contemporary culture today. How about same-sex marriage? Okay, we understand the Episcopals have taken an approach on it. Maybe some mainline churches have said, okay, we're fine with it. But do you realize that in Time magazine, I was just reading the other day that the first evangelical church out west has said, you know what, we are marrying gay people. Well, well, that's our culture. Everybody else is saying we're legalizing, it's okay. Well, where do we draw the line? Well, we don't want to be legalistic as a church. We want to just love people. Okay, how about marijuana use? Well, after all, it's just, it's medically okay. So it's got to be okay. No big deal.
Our culture will tell us what to believe if we don't know what we believe. Let me repeat that. Our culture will tell us what to believe if we don't know what to believe. In other words, if we don't really know the truth, I love what Jared had shared earlier today in worship. Truth is the thing that sets our heart free. But if we don't know what to believe, in other words, we don't know what is true, then the culture will tell us how to believe. Because after all, the culture is such a strong influencer. Think about this for a moment. How much media have you consumed this week? From radio, from your podcast, to Facebook, to TV, to movies... Okay, now put that on one hand, think about that. Do the math in your brain real quick. Now on the other hand, how much time have you spent reading God's word and praying? How are we doing? How are we doing? You see, the idea is that we will be influenced by the things that we actually consume. We'll begin to believe the things that we actually consume. Our culture is not that evil, but our culture will begin to change our thinking if we're not careful of knowing what we believe. Our culture will tell us what to believe if we don't know what to believe. This was actually the challenge that Jesus was addressing or the issue that Jesus was addressing in this church, in Revelation, this church of Pergamos. In 2 Timothy 3, 7, write this verse down for, if you're taking notes. If you're in Operation Solid Lives, OSL, one of your requirements is to take notes during, uh, during service, so this would be your note-taking time. And what it says is, in the latter days, we'll be always learning, but never perceiving the knowledge of the truth, or never arriving at the knowledge of the truth. In other words, we're always chasing down this, we want enlightenment, don't we? We want to know more things. After all, if, if people are born gay... How could it be that wrong that they shouldn't experience the fullness that every other human being experiences to be in relationship, to love? You see, if you follow the logic of the world, it will bring us down a slippery slope. Now, by the way, just in case anybody is wondering, (laughs) I love all people. And all people, regardless of their sexual orientation, are welcome in this church. This is not a church against them. This is about, really, is the culture telling us something that might not be true? And here it is for us, because if our culture is telling us something, and if we don't know if it's true, where are we going to find truth? Because after all, if maybe when I was a kid, I believed a certain way, but now my view has changed. How has my views changed? In other words, do I have greater enlightenment? And therefore, with my greater enlightenment, then truth no longer is truth. It kind of gets fuzzy. 
If you turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2, verse 12. This is what Jesus says and addresses to the church of Pergamum. And to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword... I'm going to stop there for a moment. Where else do we know about the sharp two-edged sword? It's the ability to divide bone from marrow. In other words, it has the ability to really get into the crevices of dividing right from wrong. Jesus has the ability to help us to discern right from wrong. He says, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Yet you hold fast to my name and you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness who was killed among you. Let me tell you about Antipas. Antipas was a doctor and he was kind of secretly going around and telling people about Jesus. And they didn't like this. It was actually the medical board of the time said, you need to stop, and he wouldn't stop. And so what they did is they actually put Antipas in this this copper bowl and lit the big fire underneath this bowl and killed him by basically allowing him to melt in this pot. Horrible. But he would deny his faith. If you remember last week, we were talking about enduring even in hardship, even in persecution. He was saying that that's not the thing I have against you, this church. You've endured this persecution. But this is what he says I have against you. Verse 14. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold to the teachings of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. Okay, we talked about this earlier on. Balaam, the practices of Balaam was a very, it was a pagan style of worship. And uh, they would have practices that were not godly, but they were very cultural. Teachings of Balaam that they would have sex as a part of their worship. I know, guys, you've got to get your head out of the gutter. I know you're thinking, I'm going to the temple to worship today, honey. <laughs> Not good. But they also convinced them to eat food sacrificed to idols. And in, the t- in that day... Food sacrificed to idols was also not a good thing. It, it, was, it was like, this was sacrificed to, uh, to a pagan god, and what, I'm going to consume this, this meat that was done that? Now, we do know that Paul said, he addressed this earlier on, when he said, not a big deal. I mean, it's, if you eat food sacrificed, it's not going to defile you. The food itself is just food. But if you begin to partake in some of these practices, that's the issue. It becomes seeping into your heart. We talked about the heart earlier today. 
He always looks at the heart. It's not just if it's been food sacrificed to idols. Let me tell you a little bit about Pergamos. Pergamum had faith in Jesus, but here's the problem. They allowed other teachings and other ideas to cause people to stumble. They had a strong culture of pagan worship. They, they worshipped other gods. Now, here's the interesting thing. This took place about 90 years after Jesus already walked on the earth. 90 years. How is it that only 90 years after Jesus was alive were, were the Christians of the day mixing their beliefs with pagan ritual worship? How is it that they allowed the culture to influence them? And the question for us is how much is, are we allowing our culture to influence us? And are we doing something that would be considered not right, not godly, not pleasing to Jesus. So if Pergamum missed it, could we be missing it? Could it be that our beliefs are a little bit skewed? How do we know? Because our culture will tell us what to believe if we don't know what to believe. And do we want our culture telling us these things? Do you want the culture to dictate truth? Or is there truth to be found somewhere else? So what do we do? Do we run away from our culture? Do we form these monastic societies and go into places of peace up on the faraway mountain where we're not tainted by the world? Do we do that or do we go hang out in Pennsylvania with the Amish and get our, our carts and our horses and our buggies and no electricity? Do we escape from the world and do we isolate ourselves? Is that the only way to keep ourselves pure? Turn with me to John chapter 17. John chapter 17, verses 14 through 19. Jesus has something to tell us about this. This is Jesus' prayer right before his execution, his crucifixion. See, he says this. Red letters in the Bible means that Jesus is speaking. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. He says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. You get that? I, I don't want you to be removed from the world, but keep us from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. Jesus speaking. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. I like that truth word. When Jesus tells us where truth is, 
we know there's truth to be found. He says, your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. All right, so we have to talk about what Jesus says about being in the world. Because this world could be an awfully scary place. There's two ways of looking at it. There's one way of just saying, you know what? We live by grace today, so therefore I'm in the world, but also of the world. I'll take on the world systems because I live by grace. And you know what? I know that it's my belief in Jesus that's going to allow me to have eternity with God. Go to heaven. So it's okay if I participate in all the worldly stuff because after all, Jesus forgives all of my sins and that's okay. The Bible addresses that as well. He says, but do I keep on sinning? Does grace allow us to keep on sinning? And Paul says, by absolutely no means. Please don't. The other way of looking at that is we are not of this world and we're also not in this world. This idea of separation. We're going to separate ourselves and make sure that we don't get too close to the sinners. Make sure we don't hang out with the wrong crowd and oh my word, if somebody's watching something, better close my eyes. I don't want to get polluted. But that's not right either. What Jesus is saying is, he goes, I want you to be in the world, but not of it. In the world, but not of the world. Okay, so what does that mean? It means that we can still be in this world. In other words, we don't have to escape. It means we can still go to work. And we can still hang out with unbelievers and we can still go to restaurants and hang out in those places. But we're not going to be of it, which means we're not going to participate in the things that begin to creep into our heart that separates us from God. The challenge is, is our culture is moving at such a pace that it creates confusion in our brains of like, what is true? My word, 1945 was in the very first time that publicly on TV, they showed two people in bed together. <gasps> 1945, it was all a roar. What are we doing? Two people are in bed with covers over them and we saw it on TV. That's only, that's only for, that's only for, the bedroom, the door's closed, but now the world has seen two people in bed together. And to where we are today, and we don't even bat an eye. When our TV shows today are on prime time that are very, very risque. Be in the world, but not of it. Here, Jesus modeled for us really what he was saying is, I love hanging out with people who don't have it all together. 
Because that's his mission. His mission was to say, how do I restore people back to the way that God intended them to be in wholeness, that they can experience love, life, and joy, and peace? So Jesus' mission was, he goes, I didn't come here for the, for the well. I came here for the sick. And so he hung out with the prostitutes, the tax collectors, which were considered the down and the outers, not the down and but the scoundrels of the day. Now, how could he hang out with them but not become like them is really the question for us. How do we hang out with this world and have us not become like the world? It's a difficult question because it's like, where's the line? How do I stand up for righteousness and how do I not condone things, but yet, where's the truth in all of this? goes back to the scripture in John. He says, when I, don't, I don't ask that you take them out of the world, but you keep them from the evil one. Keep them from the evil one. So we know we have an, an enemy. We have an evil one who's looking to trick us. He's looking for us to get involved in things that's going to hurt us and hurt our heart. But he says this, sanctify them. This word sanctify really means set apart. Set them apart so they can be in the truth and they know the truth. Church, I have to tell you the truth can be known. But it's found in this, his word. So I'm going to ask us again, how much of the culture are we consuming versus how much of the word of God are we consuming? Because eventually what we consume more of, we will become more like. I'll tell you, I've been challenged. I've been going through this discipleship course called OSL, Operation Solid Lives. Part of the disciplines, if you will, of going through this is that you only have two hours of secular media a week, which for me is not a big deal. I don't watch a lot of TV. But then you've got to be in the word of God every day, which, okay, I journal. Probably not every day. Usually Sundays I don't journal, but you got to be in every day. Then you also got to be praying. You got to be praying out loud for 10 minutes. And I'll tell you, I can... I pray throughout the day in my head, but man, praying out loud for 10 minutes, I get lost for words sometimes. It's hard for me. But I noticed that when I start separating out all those extra things that I used to do, yeah, and probably, I probably consumed more than two hours of secular media a week. But I began to say, I'm filling myself proportionately in a way that all of a sudden, as I'm filling myself more with God, more of his word, all of a sudden I feel like his truth becomes more clear to me. And it seems like that blurry line seems to not be so blurry anymore. Romans 12, verse 2. I want you to look this up on your own. I'm not going to turn there, but if you're taking notes, Romans 12, 2. It talks about to not be conformed to this world. 
In other words, don't take the shape of the world. Don't become like the world. But be transformed. In other words, maybe you were in this shape. He wants us to be a transformer. You like those movies, Transformers? No, no secular media. But transformers. You transform by how? How are we made in the right image? It's by the renewing of our mind. Renewing of our mind. And how does our mind get renewed? It's by being in the word of God. It's spending time in his presence. It's why. So so then it says you can test. So you can discern what is God's will. You see, a lot of times people feel like, well, I, I just don't know. And they get really insecure of like, where's this line? Should, you know, should I have sex before marriage? I just, I love him. And we're going to get married anyways. So it's probably okay. Okay, have you been through God's word yet? And found out that, you know what? All it's going to do is hurt you. And they're going to throw a wedge in your relationship between you and God. Don't do it. But how would you know that? Because we don't talk about that every Sunday, do we? Maybe once a year we might tell you this. But a circumstance might happen and all of a sudden you find yourself in this this situation and, and you're like, the line's fuzzy. Well, I'll tell you what, the line's not fuzzy if you're in God's word and finding out what his truth says. And then also, if you have the Holy Spirit, you come to this place of saying, Holy Spirit, you know what one of his gifts is? Discernment. So you come to this place, Holy Spirit, please help me discern. I'm a little confused right now, but help me discern what's right. What is your will? And the Holy Spirit can come and make it very clear for you. The world is changing so fast. And our beliefs are being tested in every direction. And this is what Jesus was saying to this church of Pergamos. It's like, I, I know you believe in me. You're faithful, in the, even in the light of persecution, but you are getting muddy. You're allowing these teachings of Balaam to get in the way. These Nickelodeons that were also taking on these this, this practices of Balaam. These kind of like, oh, you can be a Christian plus. You can be a Christian, but take on all this other pagan stuff. Do we do that today? That we can be a Christian plus the world? After all, it's, it's, it's okay. After all, it's legal. Let me ask you, does legalizing something make it right in God's eyes? We need to understand what God says about these things. And by the way, there's no judgment whatsoever. But we do know that when we don't go the way of God's word, when we don't go toward his truth, it only hurts us. And it only separates us from God who so delights in us. You see, if we don't know what we believe, the culture will tell us what to believe. If we don't know what to believe, the culture will tell us 
what to believe. And who would you rather trust? Our world system, which by the way, who's the prince of our world? Would you rather trust him or would you rather trust God, our creator, who delights in us, who loves us, and he's given us his word? Where would you rather put your trust? Where's my, my music man? There's my music man. Let me tell you something. Even though I grew up in a home that had some very strict ways of looking at things, what I viewed as a teenager as strict, I've since come to the place of saying, well, maybe it's not so wrong, and I've allowed my mind to feel like, well, it's not so bad. And after all, it's not really sin, so you partake in it, but then it gets you one step closer to saying, well, that's not so bad, so maybe this is not so bad. And I've realized that sometimes in my own life that the line from right and wrong seems to get a little muddy, a little blurry. I'm not talking about blatant sin stuff. Although, I'll tell you what, our culture's telling us that some blatant sin things are okay. And by the way, churches are adopting those things. Are we a bride that's going to be ready for our bridegroom if we do that? That we play in the world system and that we also play with God. It's like we want both. God, we want you. We want you to set us free from our past. We want the good feelings that you give us, but we're not really ready to give up what this world has for us. So as this line for me has become a little bit fuzzy, I've come back to the place of saying, okay, God, I can't go into that fuzzy place. Give me greater discernment from right from wrong. Give this insatiable desire to be in your word that I might seek out your truth. Because here's the slippery slope. As our culture tells us that these things are okay, our mind becomes opened up to the possibility. Well, maybe if you kind of skew the scripture this way, I could kind of see that. Open up to the possibility. Then the possibility might merge into acceptance of like, well, We don't know for sure, so okay. Then so we've accepted it, but then once we've accepted it, then we also then might participate in the practice of it. Where does it end? Where does it begin? Where's the line? And I want to give you hope today to know 
that the line can be drawn. That you don't have to play in this world of God's world and the world. We go to what the scripture says. He says, I want you in the world because if we're not in the world, how are people going to know Jesus? I want you in the world to be light in the darkness, not hiding your light under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. But because our culture is so invasive and we are consuming so much of it, it begins to cloud our mind. Jesus says, no, 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 it's okay. Would you just allow your mind to be renewed? Every day, allow your mind to be renewed. Be in God's word. Spend time in prayer. When you're facing a situation that you don't really know if it's right or wrong, ask the Holy Spirit to give you discernment. Holy Spirit, I'm I'm confused right now. Help me to know what is right. Help me to know what your will is. Do you realize what the prince of this world has intended for you. His purpose is to kill, steal, destroy. And he does it because he is he is so masterfully crafty at his at his craft. He knows how to bait us. And this world can look so alluring sometimes. And our culture can tell us what to believe. But all it's going to do is it's going to bring you to a place, a snare, a trap, where your heart is going to hurt. Your heart is going to get ensnared. It's going to cause pain. It's going to wreck relationships. It's going to wreck your the plan that God had for your life. Now, thank God he is in the process of redemption. So if you've made poor choices in your life, guess what? Today's a new day. God is about restoration, redemption, fresh starts. But what he is reminding us in this church, in this letter to the church, he says, don't play in both worlds. Be the church, be the bride that I want you to be. At the end of this, if you follow down along in Revelation, it says, therefore repent, verse 16, turn the other direction, run the other way. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. He's not warring against us to beat us up. But he's warring against the enemy who wants to steal our soul. He wants to restore us. It says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I'm just going to quickly 
bring this to your attention. The one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna. Where do we know where the manna is? The manna was the provision that God gave the children of Israel when they were in the desert. That food that came every morning. That manna was later put in the Ark of the Covenant, which really represented God's provision and God's presence. That's what he's saying. He says, you don't need the world to give your provision and his presence. God can only give him, give you that. And then he says this, I will give him a white stone. And a white stone was given to a runner in the race when, when they would compete and they'd cross the finish line. So think about track meets. When you'd have a big group cross the finish line, they would give the white stone to the one who crossed the finish line. Then they would take that one st- uh, white stone and go to get his victor's crown. It's only the one who had the white stone that would get his victor's crown. He's saying, the one who conquers, the one who overcomes the influence of this world, you'll get the victor's crown, you'll get the white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. You see, God has an incredible plan for your life. Every single time that God did something significant in somebody's life, he changed their name. Remember, Jacob's name was changed to Israel. Sarah's name, Sarai's name was changed to Sarah. Abram's name was changed to Abraham. Every time they met with God in a significant way, their name was changed. God is saying, if you're willing to go after me, become the bride that I want you to be. I will not only allow you to conquer, I will also allow your name to be changed. You'll become a new person with great passion and great purpose. God has great things in store for you and me, his bride. But we first have got to create this line of separation from the world to what he wants from us as a bride. Dividing right from wrong, truth from fiction. You see, the culture will tell us what to believe if we don't know what to believe. Would you spend time this week and the weeks to come being in the word? Spend time with him, praying, talking to him. Grow, get into the next OSL that comes your way. Make sure you're in life group, that you have people in your life that are gonna hold you accountable. They're gonna study God's word together. Be faithful to come to church. There's a crazy trend right now that people come to church once a month, maybe twice. How are we going to be on this journey of learning together and being in God's presence if we're just kind of like sporadic? Father, it is my heart this morning that each one of us would come to the place of saying, you know what? I am no longer going to be influenced by my culture. 
Instead, I'm going to renew my mind and going to refresh my mind. That my mind will be transformed, that will begin to transform my heart by being in your word. By spending time with you. By always weighing out how much secular media am I taking in versus the word of God. How much am I spending in the, wor- in the world versus with you, God. We know, Father, that you've sent us into this world not to judge it, not to condemn it, but to love it. Father, we need people to see the difference in us. Otherwise, how is it going to be attractive if we just look like the world, God, that our culture, just we look the same and we just wear the Christian badge. Is that enough for you, Jesus? Are we your bride at that point, Jesus? Or do we look different enough from our culture that it's attractive? The freedom that we have, the love that we have, the joy that we have. Father, do people see that in us? Lord, I pray that you would give us a greater sense of discernment. God, that your Holy Spirit would give this gift of discernment to every single one in this room. Father, fall on us. This gift of discernment, I pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would well up inside of this desire to live a different way. Not getting legalistic. Still fully functioning in grace, but Father, help us divide the truth. from the fiction of this world, from the fiction of this culture, the lies that we're being told. Let us hear the voice of truth. If you would like to know more about Grace Capital Church or how to get a copy of this broadcast, please visit us online at gccnh.com.